And then I say, okay, today and tomorrow it's 99 cents. Shh, please don't tell anyone. But this allows them to review the, the book as a verified review, not just as a review, which I'm told and understand has more weight than a non-verified review. Welcome back to The Author Biz. I'm Stephen Campbell, and this is the show where we discuss meaningful ways to get better results with your author business. Today's guest is author and speaker Honoré Quarter, who last week published You Must Write a Book, a nonfiction book that at first blush might seem a little unrelated to what we normally discuss on the show. You Must Write a Book provides business professionals with everything they need to know to write and self-publish a book. Now, we're all writers here, so we all know that we should write a book, and we should be writing a book now, right now, instead of listening to a podcast, probably. But we tend to think in terms of our fiction when we think about writing a book. About 75% of us haven't seriously considered a nonfiction book. Should we? Well, Honoré thinks we should. But even if you don't agree, there's plenty here for you in this episode. We'll take a deep dive into Honoré's much-practiced launch process, as well as get into managing advanced reader teams, choosing the right public relations firms for people who are interested in that kind of thing, time management, and even the importance of having a set of professionally done author photos. If you're not familiar with Honoré or didn't catch her on AuthorBiz episode 64, she's the author of 20 books, including Vision to Reality, Prosperity for Writers, Business Dating, and the successful Single Mom book series. She's also Hal Elrod's business partner in the Miracle Morning book series, and that partnership recently published The Miracle Morning for Writers. Honoré coaches business professionals, writers, and aspiring nonfiction authors who want to publish their books to bestseller status, create a platform, and develop multiple streams of income. She also does all sorts of other magical things, and I love this part in her official biography. Her badassery is legendary. Well, I don't know about her badassery, but I can say the level of professionalism uh, with which she does her work is off the charts. It's always a pleasure for me to to chat with and to deal with Honoré and her team. And they are the kind of people uh, who, when I deal with them, make me want to raise my own game. So it's, it's, it's always a pleasure to deal with people like that. Uh, one quick note before we get to the interview. I noticed something the other day. You know, we all have ways that our readers can follow us. Uh, there's the newsletter. Uh, there's the Amazon follow button. There's Facebook there. All of, all of these different ways. Um, I've noticed twice in the last week where I've been notified by BookBub because I'm following an author. I've been notified by BookBub more quickly than I've been notified by the author via newsletter or, or by Amazon, or have noticed a post on Facebook. So I, d I don't know if, if you guys have noticed the same thing, but it, it sort of points out the importance of encouraging your readers to follow you on BookBub. It's just magical how quickly those emails come, and it could be because I'm such a loyal BookBub email reader that it just pops right into my inbox instead of some other tab, and I see it and notice it. Uh, more so than other things, but I actually checked, and I did get the BookBub email 
actually a day earlier than I got the author's newsletter announcing the new book. So something to think about, maybe promoting that uh, BookBub follow button to your readers. So that's it. Let's get to this week's interview. Honoré Quarter, welcome back to the Author Biz. I just love your show. It is such an honor to be back with you. Thank you so much for having me. And it is an absolute pleasure to have you back. The last time you and I talked, uh, we talked a little bit about, it was around the end of the year, and we were talking about goals for the coming years, and you have a process whereby you break the year up into 100-day blocks of time, and I decided that I would use that this year, and I'm happy to report that through two 200-day through two 100-day blocks of time, I am only a little bit behind schedule on what I intended to get done this year, and that's not what we're talking about today. I just wanted to get that out of the way. Well, congratulations. I'm on day 30 of my third 100 days also, and so it's amazing what tracking and writing down a goal can do. Yes, although I will say when I looked at them all today in preparation for the interview, I'm like, oh, man, I've got a lot to do (laughs) these next couple of months. But that's not what we're talking about today. You have just written a book titled, You Must Write a Book. And it's targeted primarily at business people who want to differentiate themselves in business. So it's, it, it's a lot of people out there listening who are novelists might think this doesn't apply to me. But I, I'd like for you to hang in there because a lot of this does. We're going to be talking about launch strategies and marketing strategies, and we'll get into those in a little bit. But first, Andre, if you could just sort of give us a high-level overview of the book. Oh, absolutely. So when I was um, a, a coach and a speaker, I ran into Mark Victor Hansen at a conference, and he was unimpressed when I said I was a coach and a speaker. <laughs> His response was... Um, honey, everybody's a coach and a speaker. You must write a book. <laughs> and I was like, oh, all right. Well, how hard could that be? <laughs> Little did I know. Um, but uh, writing a book has changed my entire life, personally and professionally. Writing that nonfiction book, using it as a business card, using it as license to raise my fees and impact lives and make connections and solve problems and give encouragement writing writing my first book and then writing the last couple of dozen as well has really changed my life and so i have a passionate belief that every person would benefit from writing a book and right. when when was that first book for people who might not be familiar with you um i think when the earth was cooling back in <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry say that again i was laughing so hard i so hard i didn't get the year uh, i self published for the the first time 2004 <laughs> okay Back when the earth was cooling. I love it when people make me feel young. Yes. You like that? People will say, oh, I started self-publishing when it was brand new in 2011. And I think, hmm. Yes. Yes. Well, let's, let's use as an example of someone who's a novelist and decided to write a nonfiction book and has sort of built a level of expertise from it in a very short period of time. Uh, Chris Fox, who's been a guest on this show. Chris writes science fiction, and he was in the technology business, and he, he brings a, a particular take on writing that's very appealing to a lot of us. And then all of a sudden, he went from being a novelist to a self-published expert. Something changed in his life. What was that? Um, I do believe he wrote a, a book. <laughs> <laughs> 
take, he wrote a book for a thousand. <laughs> and you win. You win. Yes. He actually has written uh, a few books and I know they're selling pretty well. So I think most people that listen to this know who Chris is and they know him much more as a self-publishing expert than they do as an author. But two years ago, the only way anyone would have known him was as an author. Correct. And so he wrote those nonfiction books and he's become kind of the go-to person for his unique meaty content that is actionable and valuable and wonderful. And I love it myself. I think he's a genius. Um, for people that are listening that are novelists out there, we write our books a certain way. We might write, we might write by the seat of our pants or we might plot. Uh, I'm guessing that if we wanted to write a nonfiction book to show expertise in, in some area, um, w- we might do a variation of one of those, but it, it would probably be just a variation. Yes, it, plotting translates nicely to outlining um, as the commensurate word for nonfiction. So when you are looking to write a nonfiction book, you, a- you ask a couple of questions. One is, who is the book for? The book, if you're a business person, is for your avatar, also known as your ideal client profile. And what is the pain that you are helping them to avoid or helping them to get out of? Or what is the pleasure you are helping them to gain or both um, in the space of a book? And it comes down to what's the advice that you're giving on a pretty regular basis. So I would imagine we can use Chris as an example. People were asking him about nonfiction (laughs) or writing fiction. How do Mm -hmm. you write fiction? How do you market fiction? How do you write to market? How do you launch to market? And when you answer the same questions over and over and over again, it's then easier for you to say, here's my book. Why don't you read that? And if you still have questions, then come on back. It saves a lot of time and it also positions you as an expert. And it's also a way, I guess, of of sanity checking the idea for your book. If people are asking you constantly how you do something, that must mean that there's a shortage of information on how to do that out there. Absolutely. And so even if there's not a shortage of information, generally speaking, there's no topic that hasn't been covered in depth by someone. And yet no one's read your book. No one has your take on it, your personality, your perspective, your education, your experience, your knowledge, all of that wrapped into one package, also known as a book. And let's just use, continue to use Chris as an example. He wrote a book on writing fast. I I can't remember the title of it, but I think it was like 5,000 words an hour or something like that might have been in it. Uh, He's not the only one to have written a book like that. Rachel Aaron wrote a book like that. Monica Leonel wrote a book like that. But Chris's book was written by Chris, and the people that like Chris wanted to read Chris's book. So basically exactly what you're saying. Yes, and I think people that read Monica's book and liked it and read Rachel's book and book and liked it, I'm in that camp, mm-hmm. right? I read both of those and liked it. Then Chris came in with 5,000 words per hour, and I said, okay, well, let's see what else. Let's see, because you only need one little distinction sometimes to double or triple your effectiveness, efficacy, productivity, those sorts of things. And you're, you're so right in, in that specific example, because I— you know, Rachel was the first of those that I that I read. There was a lot of really good information in there. And then Monica's came out and she had some different things and, and she looked at it a different way. And she sort of had like a diary in the back of the book that made it really interesting. And then Chris's was sort of from the perspective of a technician. 
Exactly. Exactly. So it was interesting because he was a little more scientific and a little more right brain. And the ladies were a little more touchy feely and left brain, but still practical. And so I think it hit every, everyone could benefit from reading all three books and you wouldn't say, okay, I already read Rachel's books. I don't need any more information. A hungry fish, you know, this is interesting in terms of marketing, right? A a hungry fish is a hungry fish. You don't read one book on fly fishing and then go, I'm an expert. You get the fly fishing magazine. And I'm not talking about myself. Let's just say, (laughs) be clear. I'm no fly fisherman, but I had a boss who was a fly fisherman and he had every fly fishing magazine. He had all the gear. He had every book on it. And so when someone's interested in a topic, they're interested in the topic and they want to learn everything they possibly can about that topic. They also want to learn about it from you if you haven't given your perspective on it. That's interesting. And a lot of us, we may write novels, but we may also do some blogging. And and that's another way, perhaps, of finding out what people are interested in. If you write a blog post that, that really generates a lot of interest and gets shared all over the Internet, you might be onto something. Absolutely. You just have to kind of figure out what, what it is that you are, are really good at. What's your innate natural ability or what's the thing you want to become great at and study it and then share that kind of like Napoleon Hill. He wasn't wealthy. He studied the wealthy. So you either are really good at something and you pass that information on or you're going and learning something and you're the messenger. Which is exactly what we do here at the Author Biz. I am certainly not a world class a world class writer or business person, but I like to interview people that have a lot more knowledge than I do, so that I can learn and, and our listeners can learn at the same time. Absolutely. Are a there? Book. <laughs> where's, where's your nonfiction book? I'm just saying. <laughs> Are there other ways that we could sanity check book ideas? Well, you want to look at the data. And again, I'm, I'm like you in the, I'm not a world-class data person, but it's interesting. We have a case study. uh, I have a case study in the book about someone who was a mortgage broker who reached out and said, I want to write a book for mortgage brokers. But when we did the study of the mortgage broker, we real, we recognize that women are the majority of readers and women between a certain age and a certain age are the majority of readers. And then over here, we have the majority of mortgage brokers are men. And men don't read, typically, especially nonfiction books. And so it was going to be an exercise in futility because even if you could get 100% of the market to buy and read the book, there were only like 40,000 people. Mm-hmm. So you want to have a big enough market and then be able to, even if you only take a small percentage of the market share, you're still selling a, a large number of books and that there's some turnover, that there are always going to be new readers that would be interested in your book. All right. In your book, You Must Write a Book, which it's a great title, you spend a lot of time explaining why readers should write a book, and you talk about some things that would be second nature to a lot of our, a lot of our listeners, uh, different ways of publishing books, uh, things like that. So I, I'd sort of like to skip right over that. And then you get into some things specifically in launch strategy that I thought was fascinating, some things that I've heard for some really high-level uh, indie fiction authors that you're suggesting that people do as a part of a nonfiction launch. And I, I, I found that interesting. I wasn't expecting it. And for me, these few, sec- these few chapters on marketing and launch strategy are far and above 
worth more than the cost of the book. So if, if people are out there listening who are struggling with launches and marketing, there's a lot of good information in here. But I'd like to talk for a little bit about launch strategy and, and how you apply that to your own writing, because you publish a lot. You publish quickly. Well, which 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 thing should we ta- attack first? Which area should we go down first? Well, let's do launch strategy. Let's let's say you know we're let's say we're publishing. Um, you must write a book, and what what would be the launch strategy for that? Well, I've learned a lot about um, Amazon algorithms, and I've learned a lot about timing and those sorts of things, doing lots of launches. And one of the things that I take into consideration whenever I have, whenever I'm forming a book idea, I vet the idea first. Is this worth my time? Is it, is it going to sell? Is it going to be helpful? Those sorts of things. And once I've checked those boxes, the very next thing I do, even as I'm working on the outline and then putting the meat on the bones, right, of the, of the outline, I'm starting to figure out like, who are the influencers that, have my avatar as their fan base. And I'm wondering if I have a relationship with them. And if I don't, can I initiate one, start one? Um, And how can I add value to that person? Because I know I have a runway of time. So that's one aspect. And then I'm also, um, I have built um, an advanced review team. I call them my review crew. And I let them know, hey, I have a book coming. And I'd really like for you to be an advanced reader. Now, with You Must Write a Book in particular, I did what no sane person (laughs) would do. And that is I actually sent the dirty first draft. And I don't mean like dirty as in naughty. I mean dirty as in unedited um, to my advanced readers because I, this book was really important to me for a number of reasons and is important to me for a number of reasons. And I wanted to help as many people as I possibly could. And sometimes the feedback you get post-publication would have been really helpful pre-publication, but it's kind of the ship has sailed and I'm on to the next thing, right? Mm -hmm. And so I send it out and I got a number of people to read it. And the questions that I was asking were, where did I not fill in a loop? Where did I not close the loop? Where did I not talk about something long enough? Where did I leave something hanging? Or what did I miss completely that you would like to see in the book? And because I have these one, I don't have a thousand true fans yet. Um, is that Tim Grawl or David Gogren? But <laughs> um, it's neither. It was Kevin Kelly in an old Inc. magazine article. Oh, got it. So I don't have that thousand true fans, but I have over a hundred true fans, and I'll take them, and I love them. Mm-hmm. And they were really great and gave me that feedback. And then I asked them to, you know, hang in there because I'm going to let them get that book at ninety nine cents when it first releases. Um, but also to start helping me to spread the word. And what's interesting is I'm having random people now reach out to me and say, I just can't wait for you must write a book. And they're doctors and dentists and acupuncturists. They're people that have always wanted to write a book, but there was no one kind of manual or guide. Mm -hmm. That's all because of my review crew just out there talking about the book. And then I put the book up for advanced sale and started getting a nice trickling of sales. And so just, I'm going to kind of, pause here for just one second and talk about Amazon's interest in consistent launch sales as opposed to an on-the-day massive launch Mm -hmm. number. 
so I like to kind of reach out and I have, um, relationships with people where, you know, this like, there's the friend and then there's the friend that'll help you hide the body. <laughs> Someone will help you hide the body. Then you, they'll also let you spend $3 on their Amex card. right? <laughs> so I was texting a lot of people and saying today would be a great day for you to pre-order my book on Amazon. <laughs> Please send me a screenshot when you're done. Okay. Love you. <laughs> So I've been very consistently asking a certain number of people every single day in my intimate circle to purchase a book and pre-order a book during the during the pre-launch phase and then after the launch. All right, phase- let me stop you here, um, and and let's dig into that a little bit. When you say a certain number every day, are you trying to actually let let's say you've got a two-week pre-launch, and are are you trying to get a certain number to buy each day to to tickle the algorithm? Yeah, I just want one or two people every day to pre-order that are not in my that that are in my circle. Now okay. I'm still putting it on Facebook and I'm still tweeting about it and I'm posting it on Instagram and I had my stamps made at Zazzle with the book cover on them. So I'm doing all these other kind of like things to kind of push it out there a little bit so where people were to see it and go, hmm, that's interesting, right? Mm-hmm. I might want to write a book. Maybe I should look at this. <laughs> Still doing that, but I'm definitely using my um, my arm wrestling strategy okay. All right. with my close friends. I just want a consistency. So I've had one, two, three, sometimes five, a couple of times ten, right, advanced orders days in the in the days leading up to the launch. So okay. I'm picking up those pre-orders. And then I have a list of people who have said, if you give me a date, I will buy it after the launch. So I have 45 names of people. So I'll have at least one book sale every single day for the 45 days following the launch. Interesting. Now, while I'm doing that, I'm also a sucker for a good podcast. And so I've reached out to podcasts I've been on and podcasts I haven't. And I've offered to come on and talk about why people must write a book. And so I have podcasts going from two weeks before to two months after releasing. So I'll get that consistent purchasing power because what I really want is for Amazon to show me some love and to promote the book to people who I would otherwise never have access to. Okay. So you're being very strategic about this whole thing. Um, I am being as strategic as my little artistic heart will let me. (laughs) All right. Now (laughs) I want to go back. Uh, Some of the things you've mentioned, people may think this doesn't apply to me. Uh, Mm -hmm. You're talking about your avatar and that's 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 something that that I've also heard used. I mean, Chris Fox was the first person I heard use it uh, as a novelist. Who he didn't use that term, but it's basically he went out and created his ideal reader, the ideal reader for his fiction. It's exactly the same thing that you're talking about. Yes, and in in the snowflake method, which so I um, I'm writing fiction and I am studying the snowflake method, and I'm so brand new. But they talk about who who the book is for. And in the book, they give the example of the fact that um, Harry Potter is for an 11-year-old boy. And so it doesn't matter that boys don't read and that 11-year-old boys don't read, for goodness sake, but that she wrote the perfect story for 11-year-old boys. And when you write to your avatar, when you're really clear about who you're writing your story for, then you're then that avatar loves your book and they talk about it. And so they go through this whole explanation of how the 11-year-old boys told the 12-year-old boys and the 12-year-old boys told the 12-year-old girls and the 12-year-old girls told their moms. (laughs) (laughs) Next thing you know, there's a worldwide sensation. So knowing exactly who your avatar is or ideal reader or if you are 
a business person also who's thinking, hmm, maybe I'm going to write fiction, but I'm all, I, maybe it would help me to write a nonfiction book and it would, then who am I writing the book for? Your avatar or your ideal reader is just another turn of phrase for your ideal client profile. So in my book, and you must write a book, I am writing the book for Eric Negron, who's a dear friend of mine and a client and a financial advisor. And I have been, you know, nudging, encouraging, harassing, whatever you want to call it (laughs) for quite some time and saying that he really would benefit from writing a book, that his practice would benefit from writing a book. And so I actually used him as my avatar, ideal reader, ideal client profile for You Must Write a Book because he fits mostly who would read and love and benefit from mm-hmm. from the book itself. All right. In the launch strategy section, you, you did something that I first heard Mark Dawson talk about uh, a year or so ago, and that's the idea of asking your advanced reader team um what you you actually i i can't remember you you had a, an acronym for them but uh, you, the idea of asking them to go and buy the book to make their reviews count for more and then making it available essentially just to them for a few days for 99 cents yes that's correct so they have the pre-sale and i get all those pre-sales in and then i wake up early <laughs> <laughs> really early and change the price to 99 cents. And I send an email to my art. So my advanced review team is my art and they get the arcs, the advanced review copies. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I change the price and then I send them a super secret email and I say, okay, because the official launch date isn't for a few days. So the pre-sale people get the book on their Kindle. They may or may not notice. Right. So then I have this two, one, two, three day period where I'm just telling my art and I've got that private Facebook group where I'm saying, and I heard you have one. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. So you know what I'm talking about where mm-hmm. you have this private Facebook group and you only let people in by, you know, by invitation or whatever. And then I say, okay, today and tomorrow it's 99 cents. Shh, please don't tell anyone, but this allows them to r- review the, the book as a verified review, not just as a review, which I'm told and understand has more weight than a non-verified review. And I, I believe that to be true, although I have no evidence to support it. It just seems like it just seems like it would be true. And I know as a reader, when I'm reading reviews, if I see verified purchase, it carries more weight with me. But I suspect Amazon treats it that way as well. Well, it only makes sense because they have gone to the trouble of making it an orange two-word phrase underneath the review that says verified review. So if it doesn't matter, they wouldn't necessarily call it out. So I'm going to, I believe, and I've been told it's up to 500% or five times more effective than um, um, just a regular old review from someone who has been given the book or picked up the book or has read the book another way. So I like to reward my readers with that advanced uh, review copy. So they're getting it way in advance of everyone else. And and lots of people were excited for this particular book. And so they wanted it as soon as possible. So that's what encouraged me to give them that very rough first draft. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, we've now resent them the final prettily laid out book so that they could see the difference. Like, hey, you must write a book and I'm encouraging you, this person who's never written a book before, to write this book. So let me just kind of go open kimono a little bit and show you the difference between <laughs> how we begin and how we end up, right? <laughs> yeah, that would I, actually be interesting. That would be, that would be kind of fun. Yeah, so, so a lot of the people who read it, and again, there weren't very many, I mean, a hundred, 
hundred people total. And so maybe a third of those people actually read it, but the feedback I got was really powerful and definitely um, changed some of the book. And so I took some of the book out and I put some of the book in and I did different things. Some are some pieces of the book I had in there. I actually pulled out and made them into blog posts so that it would help me to promote the book. And some of those ideas came from the feedback I got about the book initially. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I had the founder of Book Funnel on, on the show and chatted with him. And it's a service that I, I really like. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, 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 it seems to it, it seems to work for people that, that are using it, especially the way uh, I think you use it for this, because when I requested an arc of the book, I got a book funnel link. Did, do you use book funnel for all of your arcs? Um, I, this is a, like maybe the second or third time I've used it. I actually know Damon. Damon and I were at that original, um, the colonist summit. That okay. Was- was working on that idea and I didn't kind of put two and two together. Hi, Damon, you're awesome. <laughs> funnel. Um, so I love book funnel. I think it's fantastic. Um, I think everyone should use it a thousand percent. It's so easy. It is just, it takes the, the aggravation out of having an advanced review team, frankly. Yes. And there are lots of other reasons to use it, but inside the author biz Facebook group, there was some discussion about the value of it. And, and first I think he doesn't charge enough for it. It's, it's just so incredibly inexpensive. Um, but every, every time I've used it, it, it just works like a charm. I may be technically a little bit more advanced than the average reader, but uh, did you have any problems with your readers when you were when you were using it? Um, I don't think so. I have the most amazing work wife slash assistant ever. So if there were any problems, I don't know about them or didn't hear about them. So I'm going to say no problems. <laughs> okay. And I, I will agree that your assistant is amazing. <laughs> Okay. Now, you mentioned Amazon a little bit ago, and before we came on the air, I was complimenting you on your new author photo, which triggered this great story, and I stopped and said, we have to tell the story during the show. So let me just go back to this whole thing about the author photo, and I kind of wanted to bring it up when we were talking about marketing, just the idea of a professional author photo. And a few weeks ago, maybe several weeks ago, you posted some pictures uh, to your Facebook followers. And it's like, hey, I'm getting a new author photo. Which one do you like? And, you know, there was just a firestorm of opinion. But uh, tell us why you did that. Well, I am I am uh, pleased to be going to New York in a few weeks to participate in a an Amazon event. And they asked me for a headshot. And then they wrote me back and said, um, do you have anything a little more professional? (laughs) So so I guess the photo that I took in my office 10 years ago with my Mac was not good enough. I don't understand what the problem was. So I went through this no carb, you know, run a hundred miles, last chance, biggest workout scenario for a few weeks. And then I went and had... (laughs) and 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 you keep yourself in pretty darn good shape anyway. Well, I'm a girl, and the camera adds at least 48 pounds. Yeah, and 50 if you're a guy. 50. 50 if you're, you know, if it's a Tuesday. So <laughs> I, just, I went through all of this. And, of course, I have the most wonderful husband in the world because he's like, I don't – you look fine. I don't understand. Have a donut, right? <laughs> Which is wonderful. Uh, But I went and had headshots done by this terrific photographer here in Austin. And it was funny because I have aviator sunglasses. And at the very last second, I said, do you mind if we just do some kind of fun shots? 
And she was totally game to play along. So we did like the fun and the serious and also like the super fun kind of the don't mess with me photo <laughs> with the sunglasses, <laughs> which I now send to people when they're upsetting me. <laughs> I just kind of send them that photo. Um, but it was really fun. And I think it's come in handy a number of times because I do a lot of podcasts and I had some headshots from a couple of years ago, but they weren't terrific. I was trying to help out someone who was building their photo uh, the photography career. And just having these nice photos has kind of uh, come in handy so many times. And I really encourage everyone to have that photo because you never know when Amazon's going to ask you for a headshot and you don't want to be, you know, doing the low budget <laughs> bad author photo like Honoré and make them ask for a second photo. And you're using, you have with these author photos, you've got one that's like, professional on array. And I, I may use two uh, photos of yours in the show notes so that people can see the difference, but there's like professional speaker on array. And then there's one that you said you're going to use with your fiction. And that's maybe the, the more badass one with the sunglasses. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. The Don't mess with me. Photo is yes. my, my fiction. Photo. So that was really cool. And it, it just gives an example of what you might be able to, to accomplish with a, a top a tier professional photographer that's, that's doing this for you. Absolutely. And I will tell you what, we did probably five, uh, I did five top changes because I wasn't doing a full body and I went in and out in 37 minutes. I mean, it was- You're really, kidding. No, no. It was a, a, an on location, kind of an outdoor shoot where mm -hmm. she lived, a beautiful lighting. There was no wind. We got completely lucky. I think, you know, I changed my lipstick one time, uh, jackets on and off, sunglasses on and off, messing with the hair, super fun, 37 minutes. And how much did it cost? 400. Okay. That seems like money well spent. Um, she sent me 31 digitally <laughs> digitally <laughs> in hand <laughs> photoshopped to the ground <laughs> photos um, within 48 hours. It was terrific. So I'm guessing that if I hired her it would take 96 hours and it would cost twice as much but I'd probably be just as happy. <laughs> I think she had to work really hard on mine, but I think you're fine. And here's the thing is it's not, it, it's, it's about your personality. It's interesting because I put up three different photos and the one that everyone liked was the one they said reminded me of them the most. Mm -hmm. Not that ass sunglasses one. People thought that that was fun and it was kind of the kind of photo of mine. But the one that they liked the most was the one my closest friends were kind of weighing in and saying, that's the honoree I hang out with. That's the honoree I know. That's what you want your author photo to be. You have to be relatable because that's why readers are going to like you. Okay. Now you work with a lot of authors. You've, you've written books for authors. Uh, you wrote the miracle morning for authors with Hal Elrod, uh, and, and some other author-related books. So you work with a lot of authors, and there was a section in the book about public relations. And public relations is something that we talked about on the Author Biz a couple of weeks ago. Um, you come at it from a, a different perspective with the idea of going out and hiring a firm, and you talk for a bit in the book about what you should look for in a firm, how much you might expect to pay. Can you just kind of give us a high-level overview of what kind of advice you give to your clients when it comes to uh, whether or not to engage a PR firm? So I, 
the PR firm was a high-level PR firm that I'm connected to. So I interviewed them for the book. And they're looking for a very specific person. And the author is a very specific author. I spent $20,000 on the wrong PR person when I re- released The Successful Single Mom in 2009. I should have just waited for winter and burned the money. It would have <laughs> At least I would have been warm for an evening. Mm-hmm. You can do a lot of wrong when you're hiring a PR person. However, if you have the budget to put into it and there's a strong possibility of return on investment, and I was listening to Joanna Penn's Creative Pen podcast this morning, and she was talking about PR, and she was saying it's very hard to track being on a television show or being on a radio show or being in a newspaper or magazine article to direct sales. However, there is something to be said for that continuous people hearing your name over and over and over again. And when they hear your name enough times, they take notice. Mm -hmm. There's a click, right? A a light that goes on in their brain. So one of the things is you have to have a budget for it. You have to have reasonable expectations for it. And you have to hire the right firm. You have to kind of vet them. And so I didn't know the, the person that I hired had book experience and her authors were famous but what I didn't realize was they had that traditional publishing engine behind them that I didn't, mm-hmm. such that it is. But they had some traditional publishing oomph behind them that I did not. I was completely unknown. Um, so you have to be willing to spend the money. And it almost needs to be something like, if I never got anything out of it, it's okay. Like, you don't sell your children or take a second mortgage out on your house <laughs> to fund your PR campaign. So you want to make sure that they're experienced, that they're experienced in your genre, they understand you, and they're working for you, and they're going to work really hard for you. And the most important thing, and this is something that I, I think people forget, is that there are different levels of relationship. People when, people will run around all the time and say, uh, you know, my friend so-and-so, my friend Stephen Campbell. I would no more say my friend Stephen Campbell than I would say my friend Mickey Mouse because we've done a couple of podcasts together. I'm very fond of you. I really like you. But I wouldn't claim <laughs> that we're friends because that's overstating the relationship. If you're hiring a PR person, you want someone who literally has that person's phone number in their phone and they can pick up the phone and call that person and that person will answer. That's a real relationship. Yes, and I yes, and I'm I'm sure we've both spoken to authors, or we've we've both spoken to people who have spoken to PR people who have said, "I know the people at Good Morning America," and it's it's like the classic story of if you hire me, I can get you there, and it doesn't work that way. It doesn't unless they actually can say, and here are the six people that I've put on Good Morning America, and they also went on the Today Show, and they also went on Fox News, and they went on CNBC, and they went on da, ba, 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 right? So they have to have that track record of being able to say, here are the authors that I've worked with because of the relationships I've had. But make no mistake, I am working on a big project with one of my clients And it's only because one guy I spoke to said, oh, well, I know someone that can take care of that. And I went, really? And the next thing I know, I've got an email from that guy who's a big deal. Mm. And he's, I would be willing to work with her. Right. And I was like, wow. And then I said, okay, well, who have you worked with? And then he like gives me the list. And I was like, oh, he's totally legit. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Okay. So, so the advice then is to listen and then check it out. Yeah. Trust, but verify. Right. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Uh, I'm a big, I'm a big fan of that. So make sure that, that they actually can do it because they have done it 
and they have that relationship because make no mistake, everyone is, is too big. Producers of major shows are too big, except when their friend calls them and they say, Hey, I've got, I've got an author you should have on your show. And they go, Oh, okay, great. And you, and the next thing you know, you're on, it's because there was some kind of super secret or really well, good, um, relationship that predated you're hiring that person. They're not going to go create that relationship. And I even had someone I interviewed for PR say, well, I don't have those relationships, but I will work really hard and do everything I can. And I thought, okay, well, go do that for 10 years and then call me back because I want the person who can just pick up the phone and say, oh, you should talk to this person. Here's the phone and put you right on the phone with the producer. That's a very specific PR person. They do exist. I found about four or five of them, actually. Um, and you can't get to them unless you have a really compelling story and you, you're, you know, you're quick moving and you can back it up on your side. So it's not even for me. It's for one of my author clients that I'm working with because she's, she's like so big time. It's crazy. So they want to talk to her. They're like, we don't even know who you are. We don't care. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was, that was interesting. It's, it's uh, public relations is, is just sort of a mystery for a lot of people. So whenever I get the opportunity to talk about it, I, I sort of enjoy doing it. Um, one last thing, because we are running out of time and that thing is time management. I did a survey or we did a survey uh, a few weeks ago and one of the questions was, what are you struggling with? And a very consistent answer that we got back, which surprised me, the number of people that said this, was time management. So <laughs> as soon as I knew I was going to talk to you, it's like, I've got to ask Honoré about this because I've heard you talk about your own time management before. So maybe just give us some, some points on getting the most out of our time. Sure. So uh, have every day on paper before it happens in actuality, sit down and write down what you're going to do every hour of the day that you plan on working, right? Being awake, <laughs> working, um, or both. Um, so before I go to bed, I write in my bullet journal. I have kind of an hour by hour account of what I'm going to do up to from the moment my family leaves in the morning to the minute they come home. And then I'm just mom mm-hmm. and wife. Um, my first answer to every request is no, I might be persuaded to move it to a maybe. And if I'm feeling really crazy, I might say yes, but I have so many things to do that if I take up the, Oh, would you like to do this? That's going to take four hours. Oh gosh. Well, how am I going to get that four hours back or where am I going to borrow it from? Does that make sense? So I always start with a no (laughs) and then I might move to a maybe and then a yes. Mm -hmm. Um, I am, uh, I, I like to run in, uh, tracks, meaning starting a a chain like Stephen King. That's the, the urban legend that he had or not Stephen King, Jerry Seinfeld, same exact same person. (laughs) I don't know. Sorry guys. (laughs) Um, start doing a challenge. So I'll do a hundred day challenge and I'll do yoga for a hundred days or I'll write a thousand words a hundred days in a row, things like that, where I don't break the chain. And I'm literally, sometimes I have a full day that starts at four 30 and ends at 10. And if I haven't done the thing that I've committed to, I'm out of bed and I'm doing the yoga <laughs> or I'm writing the thousand words. And I'm like, why did I promise myself this? However, making that commitment to myself and not breaking, it's really important. And just kind of putting some bumpers around. And then the final thing is, is I'm really communicative with the people that matter about why I'm not available. 
and when I am available. So I'm constantly asked, would you like to do this or go here or do that? And I have those conversations with my very closest friends and also with my family, with my husband and my daughter. And they'll say, well, why are, you know, why are you doing this? Why are you up at 4.30 on a Sunday morning or a Saturday morning? And I'll say, well, because I have this project and I it's due on this date and it goes to the editor and then it goes to the formatter. And so if I don't get the words in, then I get stressed. And so if I get up and I do it and I have your support, to go to bed at nine <laughs> or nine thirty, <laughs> then I get that done, and then everybody gets new shoes. Good, okay, right? We just all we all got new iPhones, right? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> Mama writes the words, Mama buys the iPhones. Everybody's happy, okay, good. So it's really communicating to the people that matter. Mm-hmm. It is that your outcome is because sometimes we're like, well, I have this goal, but it's super secret, and I don't want to tell anyone because then what if I fail? Then not only am I going to know, but they're going to know. Like, engage your team, your fa- your family, and your friends. And let them in on what you're doing. Say, here's what I'm doing and this is where how you can support me. So a lot of times I can say, I have this thing that I need to work on. And they'll say, what can we do for you? And I'll say, wipe the counters down, run the vacuum, go get the mail. Simple things that don't take very long, but they take, you know, they, we all have a, a certain amount of energy and bandwidth and those sorts of things. So just setting those boundaries is good. Making a commitment to yourself and not breaking the chain is good. Saying no and then making... Um, um, making those commitments to yourself. Very important. And you don't, I've, I've heard you on other podcasts, you don't overschedule yourself all the time. You're, you're not one of those people who keeps herself scheduled from 4 a.m. until midnight. Your family's very important to you. Your husband's very important to you. Being able to spend time with them, um, it, that's all very important to you. So you, you try and wedge everything that you can get into these work hours, and then when it's over, it's over unless you're on a special project. Is that is that a fair way of putting it? Yes. And the reason I get up at 4.30 is because my I have a, a junior in high school, my daughter, and she's going to abandon me for greener pastures in the not-too-distant future. And I like making her breakfast. I like giving her a nice long hug in the morning, and we sit and chat while she's having breakfast. And if I were just so work-focused then I wouldn't be spending that time with her. And I, w- I know I would miss that. Um, and then uh, at, she comes home at 4.15 in the afternoon. So that's it's eight hours, but it goes by so fast. I don't know where the day goes. So I'm very scheduled during the day and very regimented. But then I can be fun mom, baking bread and making dinner and let's run off and, and see a movie or something in the evening because I, my work is done. So keeping myself very scheduled, I, as a business coach, I would always say to my clients, putting yourself on a schedule actually sets you free. Like the schedule sets you free. It doesn't, it doesn't imprison you. It actually allows you to get everything done that needs to get done so that then when you're done, you're actually done. You're not thinking, oh, I still have 10 emails to answer. Mm-hmm. Oh, I still have this to do. Some very specifics like, okay, I need to run some ads. I need to clean out my inbox. I, here's the project that I'm working on. And here's how much project process. Um, progress. How, progress. Yes. The P, I knew it was a P word. <laughs> Um, here's how much progress I need to make on it today. Here's all the things I need to get done. And also I'm doing a meditation practice because the more I meditate, the more productive I am. Go figure. So it turns out all those monks were right. Honore, it's always a pleasure to chat with you. Your new book, You Must Write a Book, was released last Friday. Where can listeners pick up a copy? Um, On Amazon right now and then everywhere in, in just a few months. Okay. And where can people learn more about you? Um, honorayquarter.com and everywhere uh, social media is sold Facebook, Instagram. 
<laughs> and some places it's two for one. That's right. Instagram, Twitter, all all the places. Uh, LinkedIn too is fantastic. So let's connect there as well. And I am a part of a Facebook group of yours. Do you want to mention that? Absolutely. Prosperity for Writers Mastermind. So it's originally from the book Prosperity for Writers. And it's a it's a come and get encouragement and tell us what you're up to and what you need support on kind of a group. So come on in. Yes, it, it's a lot of fun. And it is you post encouraging things every day. And sometimes those those kinds of things are exactly what we need. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure.